0: this episode we are joined uh by uh, writer and podcaster benito serino how's it going man hey good
1: good, good to talk to you guys what's up
0: oh you know Thanks. <laughs> G- cool cool stuff um <laughs> so uh, benito um you um i think the question uh we like to ask people uh the first time they guess on the show is how did you get into horror like what was uh, what was your background starting out with getting into horror
1: oh man i uh I don't remember not being into monster stuff, like even from the youngest age and my earliest memories, which is weird because I wasn't supposed to be into that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to watch Bewitched, for example, as a child, but um, I was really into like the spooky things. The earliest uh, comics I remember drawing that I drew on like my school paper was about a family of ghosts and of course, uh, I drew, uh, through much of an elementary school, I drew comics about myself and my family all as werewolves, oh, wow. and, uh, my, and my werewolf, uh, alter ego was named Howler. And, uh, and then also at church, uh, on church, uh, offering envelopes and bulletins, I would draw these comics of an alien invasion, um, where just, it was basically Mars attacks, although I had no idea what Mars attacks was at the time. Uh, where aliens were coming and killing everyone, and I the one I specifically remember drawing is uh, the aliens eating Ronald Reagan, who was trussed up <laughs> like a Thanksgiving turkey. Amazing. So,
0: yeah. Oh my God! It's... Like, so it was basically the Land of Confusion video. Yeah, yeah, sort of pretty much mutant, yeah. mutant Reagan, um, and of course you. Uh, so you are a comic writer, specifically. Sure. Um, do you have any stuff that you uh, are, are working on currently that you wanted to like talk about or plug? Uh,
1: well, uh, I have a couple things I'm working on that haven't been announced yet that uh, I'm oh. not sure when they will be announced, but uh, there's uh, I do have a, uh, a dark comedy horror sci-fi thing going on uh, that, that I think people will be interested in once that is announced. But uh, recently, that I can definitely talk about because it's out, uh, I have a story in the uh, anthology book called FUBAR All-Star, which is a big, fat anthology of stories of zombies appearing at important times in history. Um, and uh, my story is called Red Vivi, and it is basically an alternate uh, histor- historical account of uh, the explosion of Vesuvius in Pompeii. And, the question, and it asks the question, what if instead of volcanic ash, uh, zombies came out? And so uh so it's got that story if you ever wanted to see plenty of the elder fight zombies
0: that's the place to look i mean definitely well and also because you um are of course the writer of tales from the bully pulpit with so i mean if we're going with i mean alternate future histories
1: that's got yeah future all the distant future of 2008 <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that one, yeah. we can only imagine what it'll be uh, like
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know what? Surprised The prediction was that there would be Nazis. So, oh, mm. oh that's
2: that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a little bittersweet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Little, yeah. Oh my gosh.
2: So, Benito, you mentioned um, being a budding young ghoul in church. How yeah. much did Carmen's invitation from a witch video influence your taste <laughs> oh. in horror movies?
1: Uh, uh, it, a non-zero amount like and it wasn't just that one because carmen had like a number oh yeah of videos with with fanciful makeup and people dressed as demons and that kind of stuff like so yeah which is invitation which of course if anyone listens to war rocket ajax like whenever i'm on we somehow manage to talk about that specific video every time <laughs> and i've been on like 15 times so it's kind of amazing but um but the other one that when i was a kid that Uh, all the other kids in church and I were really into was the Revival in the Land video, which is the one that is primarily set in hell. And it's two demons talking to each other and they're like, oh, how's your work going corrupting the world? And it's like (laughs) pretty good. All these terrible things are happening. But then they go, oh, no, what's that guy saying? Oh, he's saying revival, revival. Oh, no. And Carmen (laughs) starts singing about revival and it becomes this big like clap your hands kind of jam. Oh, man. It's
0: very yeah. See, like it's pretty wild. One, one of Soon. one of my first concerts ever um, as a kid was the uh, the Riot tour with Carmen. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I think the 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 Carmen because my mom had all these Carmen videos on VHS and I think the one that left the biggest um, impact on music was a Satan bite the dust. Sure. Yeah, I was you know. going to mentioned
1: yeah. that one if that didn't come up too yeah the, the western where he has a gunfight with the,
0: yeah, with the demon with, yeah with, with satan yeah and it's uh also uh, i mean looking back on it now it's also kind of like weird and racist because of like a bunch of the demons but i think looking back on it at the t- i mean even at the time i was like cowboy satan looks pretty cool i don't know <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah the reason you want to watch those videos is because the demons look cool right like that's yeah. the main that's the draw of it which i feel like does he know that it's counterproductive to put sweet demons in his videos or
0: what (laughs) yeah i I don't think he i don't think he foresaw that we would or even like the the no monsters video um Mm. which was you know part of riot like as a kid i loved it because i was i got to watch ghouls and a thing yeah because yeah my mom wasn't letting me watch horror movies and so that was like one of the only ways that like you know it's like oh man this is actually kind of scary i mean don't get me wrong jesus defeats them (laughs) it's true well
2: We didn't bring you here just to talk about Carmen. Uh, we actually oh, asked you definitely. on to talk about your favorite movie of all time, yeah, and um, I saw on Twitter where you were discussing the plight of being a Wicker Man fan when yeah. it's a movie that has a exact, exactly named remake starring Nicolas Cage.
1: Yeah, it's it's quite bad because because uh, yeah, Wicker Man definitely yeah my favorite horror movie. Uh, which considering horror is my favorite genre means i probably should just it's my it's my favorite movie probably mm-hmm. but like yeah there's a, a dirt awful remake of it and every time i'm like talking i want to talk about the wicker man every the first response from anyone is going oh the bees, are the bees my mouth I'm still bees. <laughs> there's no there's no fucking bees there's no bees in the real wicker man and so yeah and and so yeah i was i was rewatching i rewatched wicker man Ah, uh, partially for in preparation for this show, but also because it was May Day, and that the movie takes place on May Day. So you got May first, you got to watch Wicker Man. Oh
0: yeah. And
1: um, and so uh, I was rewatching it, and I so I was tweeting about it, and of course someone came in, oh the bees, mm-hmm. and I and I was just like, you know what I wish on you people, I want them and in our lifetimes to ju- they I want them to remake Star Wars, and it's just dog shit terrible. So that anytime <laughs> you go. My favorite movie is Star Wars. Someone goes, Oh, I love it when Nicolas Cage is Princess Leia and shoots bees out of his mouth. And that's what I want to happen to all these other people because they need to understand the pain that comes with having a favorite movie that has a much more prominent, recent, terrible remake. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it that's I it's not a one-to-one, but that's sort of how I feel anytime that like uh, there's a nightmare on Elm Street property that's like for example, Dead by Daylight, uh, of the, the the horror game, they recently announced that not, not I mean not recently because I'm an old man and everything that happened in the last year is like recent. <laughs> but when they were like, hey, you know, Freddy Krueger is a playable monster now, and of course I was like, oh my god, do I have to get this game? And then it was the Jackie or Earl Haley Freddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and especially with like the the Nicolas Cage thing, all, all, like, I like to think is like once you find out that Neil Lebute was the one who wrote the script for the Wicker Man remake, everything <laughs> about it makes sense sure yeah um yeah the remake is so weirdly anti-feminist and all
1: this in addition to just being poorly made like it's bad
0: yeah it's, it's very bad it, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the the brood by cronenberg where i'm like the person who wrote this was going through a really ugly divorce
1: <laughs> like and it was
0: just leaking out into their work and it's it's terrible um so Wicker Man, nineteen seventy three, especially like what's the what's the big thing about it that or I mean I mean there are probably like a million things, but like when you think of why you love the Wicker Man so much, like what's the first thing that comes to mind?
1: Oh man, um, I, yeah, there there are a million things, uh, and and I think for some people it might be surprising if they know my taste that my favorite horror movie is one that is relatively late compared to the kind of stuff I normally talk about, right? Mm-hmm. i like I'm normally a big advocate of horror from the 30s through 1970. So for a movie 1973 is a little bit like later than the stuff I'm normally talking about. Um, but uh, but I think I think what I like about it is that it's it's very surprising because if you say, hey, I'm going to put on this horror movie, you're not really exp- expecting this like mystery thriller musical.
2: Right. That yeah,
1: you're actually getting. Um, and, the music uh, so is I like,
2: Buck Wild. <laughs> uh,
1: it it is, and I love it. And no offense to John Carpenter or Goblin, but it is, in my opinion, the best horror movie uh, soundtrack ever.
0: It, it's basi- so. It's basically a musical in a lot of ways. Like it's it's like a a, yeah. a pastoral horror musical.
2: Well. yeah. The police officer shows up at the inn and the bar busts out into a song about how the inn's the innkeeper's daughter wants to bone it's and she's like, have. Yeah, and starts dancing to the song. Yeah, she because she
1: does want to bone. It's Everyone a, on that <laughs> island is down to clown. That is kind of the thing about
0: it. It's a bar full of rustic perverts and they're all they all like rehearse for this song. Like there were rehearsals for like, alright, we're gonna have a really uptight Christian Scottish cop uh, here in a couple of weeks and we guys we really need to make sure that we all know the words to this song. So please show up to rehearsal. We'll put in the work. Okay. Yeah, there's your real... music
1: for the landlord's daughter. Everyone get ready.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but for real, you just blew the lid off of this because the plot is that they have plotted for this. So, yes, in extra canon, they have plotted even the music to ensnare this police officer.
0: Well, yeah, and, well, it's th- very elaborate. Well, and the thing about <laughs> it is, like, before you know that this entire town is plotting to murder this guy, he's just a dick. Like, he ba- he shows up and kinkshames shames the countryside. A Scottish cop, kinkshames shames the countryside. Like... Yeah. He's, he's unbearable up until... And even then, it's like he's burning alive in the Wicker Man, and he's just, like, screaming hymns. And it's like, look, can't you just stop being extra and let them have this for, like, five minutes? <laughs> yeah. Well, um...
1: You know, there's the scene uh, in the school where he's going and he's demanding, looking for the girl who's missing. Mm -hmm. And he sees the empty desk and he goes and he opens the desk. And inside is the beetle that's tied by a string to this nail. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's winding around uh, the nail And the girl or. Yeah, the girl who's next to the desk leans over and says he'll just keep going in that same direction uh, without stopping. And and eventually he'll die. (laughs) He'll never turn around. And it's like, yeah, that's you. You're the beetle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, because you Sergeant cannot cannot help but continue going in this direction, even though it's the worst yeah, possible thing you he's,
1: can do. It's impossible. He can never, he won't, he's unwilling to turn around. And that's, and it leads him straight to his death. There's any number of places where he could just be like, he could do something different. He could uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: say, you know, when in Rome do as the Romans, when on Summer Isle, to the landlord's daughter. So, <laughs> and, and if he had, they, yeah. their virgin sacrifice would have been gone, right? Yeah. So.
0: Oh, that's true. That's actually kind of counterintuitive. That they were like, "All right, we need you to sexually frustrate this man as much as possible." Like, <laughs> you, you would think that it would just be like, "Our," you know, once he shows up on the island, they like club him on the back of the head, and it's like, "All right, well, we're going to keep you locked up until we need to burn you alive in a wicker man to make our crops live." So. But yeah. no, it's just let's torture him. I think it's
2: fascinating that he's a Presbyterian and Presbyterians are all about predestination. And also there's that idea that we as movie fans and horror movie fans love to see characters like doom themselves, even though they have chances to run away. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's by I wonder if that's a feature or a bug that he's just like plotting forward in this. There's only one, you know, path for me.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I think that, I mean, that's kind of the, the thing, right, you know, is that he's never going to he's never going to be accepting of anything outside of what he's already determined for himself. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, I think it's part of it. it I mean, lit, it's really literalized at the end of the movie when he disguises himself in the fool costume.
0: Oh, yeah. And so yeah. He's,
1: he's running around the island dressed as a fool because he's a fucking fool. He, he doesn't he doesn't, doesn't know any better and he doesn't realize that he's yeah that he's the target in the whole thing. It's
0: yeah. beautiful. And also half of this island they either listen, I don't want to use the word personas, but the Mayday procession <laughs> it's kind because of Because there are some fishmen. Of, of naturally those fish fish fuck. Men, don't but, forget. But leading the procession of course is motherfucking Christopher Lee and I think my favorite yeah. role of Christopher Lee? It's, it's really good. I think, I think I've think i read somewhere he said that this was his
1: favorite role. Oh, This man. is his favorite movie that he was in.
0: Well, because like, he, he looks, yeah, like, he looks a, like he's having
1: a
2: ball. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot written about how it was Christopher Lee that made this movie survive because the production company changed hands and they didn't think this was going to make any money, so they kind of just... Uh, shelved it. And it was Christopher Lee being very outspoken about how good it was that got it critical attention.
1: Yeah. I think he really, yeah, he really fought for this one. And uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. He's just so, it's so wild. He's like, Hey, what's up? I'm the Lord of this Island. I'm Lord of sex Island. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put on a dress. I'm going to put on these plaid pants and my chucks, and I'm just going to stroll down the street and we're going to have a procession. The pole was a penis (laughs) Enjoy yourself. He is,
0: he's Lord of Sex Island. I do
2: appreciate the the, uh, literalization of, hey, by the way, you know, this is all a big penis metaphor, right?
0: Oh, for (laughs) sure. I mean, he's Lord of Sex Island, which says to me two things. One, that he uh, is literally just Will Ferrell in the uh, lovers SNL sketch (laughs) where he's just like, yes, we've invited this Christian cop into a hot tub. Like, he so he does this thing where he's like, you know, yes, I'm a pagan, but, you know, I, I'm i a heathen, but an educated heathen where he's like going toe to toe with mean Christian cop. But then the other thing about this, uh, I cannot unsee the tweet where somebody was talking about his yellow turtleneck in this and just immediately turns to their partner and goes, Carl Pagan um, instead of Carl Sagan. It's uh, uh, it's so good. Uh, but also he's out here on his piano in a motherfucking opera cape and a cravat, just middle of the evening. And yeah. he's gonna play, he's gonna
2: score this comp fucking this late. yeah,
0: yeah, this this is a catered orgy. He's brought the piano. they are, yeah, they are all about this.
1: Yeah, this is an island where the librarian is Ingrid Pitt. So yeah, they're they're ready to go. <laughs>
0: what a perfect show so in this is.
2: Here's yeah. my one problem with this movie. It's the only thing I don't like about it. It doesn't have dudes drinking Dracula blood and turning into Draculas. Yes. That's a good yeah, point. That's look,
1: that's fair. That is fair.
2: Uh <laughs> so where would you want to put this on the list knowing that Taste the Blood of Dracula is number seventy one on our list?
1: Oh man, I think it's no oh, way higher. You know, ultimately, this is your show, and I'm not gonna. I told you this is my favorite one. If, if it were my list, it would be number one. Right. And I'm not gonna tell you guys to do that. I'm not gonna tell you guys to do that. <laughs> uh, I've looked at your list. I don't remember. What do you have at number one right now? Currently,
2: uh, number one is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw the original, Massacre. not the remake. Oh, yes, oh of not course.
0: the early Ermy remake. That's well, see. Um, all right. So I think for me, the floor on this, I do. I uh, I think. For me, the top movie that I would not say is, um, that, that The Wicker Man is not better than, I feel like the top one that I would go with, uh, for me anyway, and this is obviously just my, my take on it, I do not think that it is better than, um, Mulholland Drive at 38. Whoa.
2: Mm.
0: That's, huh?
2: I would say it's better than Evil Dead though.
0: Oh, it is probably better than Evil Dead cuz it's actually about something. Um, and don't get me <laughs> wrong, I love the Evil Dead, but it's 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 a rollicking good time and a landmark special effects horror movie and also it's just goofy fun. And this one like you're dealing with sort of the, you know, this is like the uh, the fallout from the sexual revolution from the the rise of secularism it's this Christian cop cannot deal with the idea that there's a bunch of rustic sex perverts that might be hiding the death of a child. Like,
2: yeah. So how does it compare to Rosemary's baby at number
0: 21? Ooh. Mm. Ah, I feel like, well, because it's all about, you know, some, some weird, listen, that was, that was an apartment full of sex schools. And this is a whole Island. This is like Donkey Kong country for perverts. is (laughs) Summer Island, and Rosemary's Baby is a more sort of contained... This fell apart. Uh, I think, gun to my head, I would say that Rosemary's Baby, I would probably put a little bit above The Wicker Man. That's that's fair.
2: Yeah, so right underneath Rosemary's Baby is Poltergeist and The Shape of Water.
0: On this one, I gotta give The Wicker Man the edge above Poltergeist, and I love Poltergeist, but I feel like, um, and obviously they're both um, movies about uh, family, and, and the ways in which we relate to one another, and also malevolent forces moving underneath everything, but... Yeah, but um, Poltergeist doesn't have a song about the landlord <laughs> wanting to fuck. Doesn't have a song about the landlord's daughter being DTF with a Christian cop. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I got to I gotta put Wicker Man above Poltergeist.
2: All right, nice so list. that puts 1973's The Wicker Man at number 22 on the list.
0: Hey, not, that's not a bad showing. That is a damn no, good showing.
2: It's very good. Top 25, that's great.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, man, and honestly, also with The Wicker Man, I, I think with the remake, uh, the only part I really like from the remake is Nicolas Cage punching someone in a bear costume out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. It, yeah, that's that yeah. part's pretty
0: good. Yeah, just trucking out and like, hey, what are you doing? Punched by a bear. Um, it, the movie could just be that clip, and I would be, I would be good. <laughs> um, but so the uh the next movie uh, that we're gonna be talking about is uh, 1964's Vincent Price led, uh, Roger Corman directed, Mask of the Red Death.
2: This is the first Corman we've ever done on this show. Oh, it's yeah. the first
0: uh- Corman. Yeah, I um, when uh, I checked
1: I checked out your list and I looked to see what you guys were missing and I saw there was no there was no Corman and there was no Val Luton stuff and so I kind of flipped a coin oh. between uh, Corman and Luton. and so uh, came up with this one. This is my favorite of uh, Corman's Poe movies and probably my favorite Corman overall. Probably, although X the Man with X Ray Eyes is
0: dope as fuck, so I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, this is probably my favorite Corman. Man, that's it's it's a really good call for a favorite Corman movie. Like, and, and it also... is
2: the most saturated movie I think I've seen in a long time.
1: Yeah, man. Even like, there could be no story, and just and I would just watch video uh, from the end of all the different uh, plagues walking across. Like, I would just watch that. Yeah, like, yeah, it's amazing.
0: Well, and and also I feel like uh, there's. Probably, I feel like there's a Venn diagram between Vincent Price in *Mask of the Red Death* and Christopher Lee in *The Wicker Man*. Of, yeah. They are the yeah. they're first of all catty bitches. Uh, they, <laughs> live, they live for the drama. They command a horrible coterie of sex perverts. Um, it's just outstanding. Like Vincent Price in this movie. Like watching Vincent Price in this role. Because like, I think that we take certain things for granted, like Vincent Price is God, and he is a gift to us all, and, and one of the best things to ever happen to horror, but mm-hmm. Mask of the Red Death, you just watch it, and it's, it's like watching a virtuoso performance. Yeah. Like, he's um, so good at this role.
1: This, this is probably, yeah, so Vincent Price as Prince Prospero here is like, this is probably him at his best in Vincent Price mode. Mm-hmm. like if, if you ask me what my favorite price performance overall was um i would say Witchfinder finder general
0: oh, but nice
1: there there he's acting very outside of the kind of very arch performance that he normally does mm-hmm. and so like that that movie is fucking amazing um but he's not really being vincent price there he's right. he is giving an excellent performance but he's not doing price and so for like the movies where he is doing Price, like this, this is definitely up there. Like he's not full on manic like he gets in other movies, like um, I don't know House of Wax or um, uh, I don't know what else I'm thinking of Madhouse or whatever. But um, but yeah, he's just so yeah so deliciously evil uh, because they were like because Corman it's great the move, the uh, the short story that the movie's based on um, there's not a lot there right it's a lot of description of the party you get the description of the different colored rooms which corman recreates most of them there's not seven but they basically had to work with the the uh the stage the sound stages they had available to them Mm -hmm. um but it uh describes the different rooms and then it's like here's all the things going on at this party and then oh by the way death shows up and they all die
2: um
1: (laughs) also death is there yeah
2: yeah also um, death is vincent bryce
1: (laughs) yeah well it yeah that that part where, where it's his own face amazing but that, yeah that's not in the, that's not in the post story but but there's not a lot of like uh, there's not much to hang a plot on and so Corman adds all this other stuff about Prospero and his Satanism and that kind of stuff he's like it's not enough that we have this very well tan- tangent this is a great movie for 2018 because it's a very excellent eat the rich kind of oh.
2: uh,
1: movie going on And and so he's like it's not enough that I have this fable about how money can't protect you uh, that's not enough. I need to make, I also need to make Vincent Price a, a Satanist who's trying to corrupt an innocent young villager.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And also throw oh. hot frog in there because we had yeah. it out another 10 minutes. <laughs>
1: uh, hot, hot frog is, um, I think it might be the first Poe story I read as a kid because I checked out, a, because I knew who Poe was mm-hmm. and I was like, I need to read some of his stories. And so I checked out a, a book from the library and I, I don't know if hot frog was the first one in there. Probably not. Cause hot frog, I'm pretty sure chronologically was the last story Poe right wrote. So I don't know uh, why I picked that one, maybe because it was short and I was a kid, but um, so that was like the first Poe story I actually read. And so it was crazy. The first time I watched this movie, I was like, Oh, it's hot frog. They call him pop toad in this instead. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it works. It works because it's another, it's another fucking eat the rich story. And yeah. it just, he, or in this case, dress the rich up like an orangutan and then set them on fire.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. Dip someone in a costume made of pitch and hay and then yeah. <laughs> light it. Yeah, yeah.
0: well, and, and especially with Vincent Price, like he, because when I think of him, uh, I, I think my favorite Vincent Price role is Theater of Blood, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's he he's basically. Because it's like, it's like what you said with Witchfinder General that there's, you know, he wasn't doing, you know, Vincent Price. And I feel like there are certain actors mm. that they fall back on the same sort of shtick and it sort of runs thin at a certain point. And I feel like Vincent Price is one of those who, god damn it, I could see him do Vincent Price in every role for 50 movies in a row and would still giggle and clap like a child because it's Vincent Price. Yeah. And, yeah. and especially in, like, Mask of the Red Death, like, he he's almost so cartoonishly villainous that he, I think there's like a huge amount of camp generally in Vincent Price's work that I think mm. Roger Corman just gets completely and is willing to run with and willing to take to its logical conclusion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I do, I have
1: publicly said, and I do stand by it, the, my claim that despite Corman's reputation, which he's gained as like a, as like a schlock, garbage guy which Mm -hmm. comes from movies he produced not from movies he's directed because he's produced and helped fund literally hundreds of movies like he hasn't direct except for he did one movie in like 1990 but other than that like he hasn't made a movie since the 70s Um, but I do I stand by my claim that Roger Corman is the best horror director of the 60s -hmm. because he's consistent his output is huge he's got eight uh, movies in his post cycle that are all Brilliant, all of them. Oh yeah, and then and then he's got he's got X, and he's got Bucket of Blood. He's got Little Shop of Horrors. He's got The Terror. All of those are great. And so, I mean, while you could probably say that something like Rosemary's Baby or Repulsion Mm. is better individually than any one of those individual movies, when you look at his entire corpus of movies compared to the two or three um, horror movies that. Like Polanski made, um, I think, in my opinion, Corman's work outweighs it. Also, as far as I know, Roger Corman ain't raped nobody,
0: so yep, that goes a long way. He's yeah. yeah, it helps. Well, and also I think that with the entire body of work of Roger Corman, I think you're totally right that like it's 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 about the entire it's like the body politic of Roger Corman and his contribution to horror. That like, look, anybody can make a great horror film, but I don't know that anybody can as, as consistently construct. A, like a school of thought behind horror and an aesthetic that Roger Corman did.
1: Yeah, and can you do it for colors in two days on recycled sets, which is how Corman did his stuff. Most of his stuff was eleven days, but he did do he did uh, shoot Little Shop of Horrors in two days.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. I it, it's. I feel like Roger Corman is one of those directors who. I feel like he's simultaneously like overrated and underrated in the regard that I feel like people who love him really, really, really love him as they should. But I also mm-hmm. I also feel like people I don't know he's uh, he was so consistently good that I think people just sort of take him for granted and they're like oh death race haha and I feel like he maybe doesn't entirely get his due as a legitimate force behind horror and something that's kept it going the way that it has. Yeah,
1: no, I I agree. I mean, I think there are there are places people who really know horror movies, I think, you know, generally give him good regard, but I I do think that the popular conception of him is just that he makes just trash. Yeah, sure. And and his 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 name gets his name gets dropped as like a, just a code word, code word or a shortcut for to mean just like trashy Z-grade movies, which uh, he did for pre- those, that's absolutely true but like the movies he directed and it, he did direct some of those too like not every not every movie he made is a winner i was really let down by she gods of shark reef did not live up to the title but uh but i mean when he's really on he's really on and just some of the movies he made are just are really beautiful like yeah so i mean the so much of uh, mask of the red Death is the colors the color saturation the color mm-hmm. symbolism and that kind of stuff it really helps uh I hope I'm not misremembering this fact, but I do believe the cinematographer on this was uh, Nicholas Rogue who went on and did, uh, he directed Don't Look Now, later. I think I'm getting that correct.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did. So, yeah, so um,
1: so he's got a really promising future director working at it as his cinematographer on this, and, and the photography is just beautiful from the first frame
0: yeah and the costuming by the way is so fucking like lavish and well thought out like i feel like they did i i I like watching a movie that i can feel some level of confidence that they've really really thought about the way that it looks and the way that the outfits look Mm -hmm. like
2: i also feel like we really have to talk about my favorite part which is the guy who's on the outside of the castle and he says i'll let you fuck my wife and prospero's like too late, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Enjoy the 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 (laughs) play. Which is the most, like, ice-cold, diabolical villain thing to do.
0: Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's legit. And and really, I feel like so much of the evil that happens in this, like, I I would love it, actually, if if our entire lousy, you know, civilization got totally wiped clean and there was nothing else but this one cultural artifact to remember us by... I would love for the aliens to see this as a representation of what human evil looked like.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's someone someone going. I have more money than you. Please act like a pig now, or else who knows what I might do to you?
0: Yeah, yeah. Which I um, I don't know if uh, either of you have seen um, that new. Um, oh, what was what was the name of it? Where it's uh, was it? Would you rather? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah with, with um
2: Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Combs, Combs, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, I, I watched about half of it before falling asleep, but I do sort of love the thing of, like, look, man, rich people are into some weird shit. Like, that's the basis of so much horror, is that rich people are into some weird shit.
2: Yeah, yeah and I mean, it and works, because, right. I mean, Cheap yeah. Thrills is, like, a perfect movie. Oh, Speaking yeah. Speaking of recent, rich people are buckwild.
0: Yeah, I think even the movie Society, which I would which we need to do at some point on this podcast. of just like, oh, man, listen, I I don't know so much in this world, but I do know that the rich are um, a horrible body horror nightmare that want to eat people. And so and then and then just fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 These 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 body horror rich people definitely fuck.
2: So Um, where do we want to put Mask of the Red Death on the list? Theater of Blood is number forty five.
0: Ooh. I, I, it grieves me to say this. I think it might be better than Theater of Blood.
2: Okay, so here's where this immediately grinds to a halt, because Hellraiser is right above Theater of Blood. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, Benito, you, you are no great fan of the Hellraiser franchise.
1: It's, it's true. I mean, I don't want to begrudge anybody that likes Clive Barker stuff, but, like, that just, that, the, like, oh, I had bondage sex with an angel like that's not my aesthetic at all
0: i i i I say this as someone with uh, a tattoo based on an illustration from the thief of always by clive barker that is totally legit (laughs) yeah 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 we get it yeah fuck (laughs) how how fascinating is the basis for a horror franchise speaking
2: of color saturation suspiria and inferno are 41 and 42 Mm. what is a better uh shot What's a better photographed movie, Suspiria or Mask of the Red Death?
1: Boy, that is tough. Uh, I know which one has a story that makes more sense, but that's not (laughs) not what the question was. You mean
0: literally any story at all? Uh, (laughs) Which would be Mask of the Red Death. Because, yeah, Suspiria is a very beautiful, it's like you're fucking, you're sticking your dick in a very beautiful uh, torture device uh, that's basically a kaleidoscope that's like, wow, beautifully shot makes no sense is about nothing but is very beautiful to look at
1: yeah i saw i saw it on the big screen with the 4k restoration that went around a couple months ago it was dope it was so awesome and the music was so fucking loud
0: it was great which i I feel like you need to be bumping that soundtrack as loudly as possible if you're going out to see susperia oh yeah oh yeah absolutely
2: I would argue that's what gives Suspiria the edge because it has Goblin and Mask of the Red Death's soundtrack is unmemorable to me. But yeah, I mean but, I also want to concede that I am a synth wave ghoul, exactly. so
0: no, that
1: that's that's absolutely fair. Like yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I would have a hard time deciding between those two.
0: Well and but the thing is also if we're going with soundtracks, I feel like... I do want to give a shout-out to the Hellraiser soundtrack, the initial one. Um, because I feel like so much of what made Hellraiser 1 and 2 work for me in a way that none of the other Hellraisers do is that that score gives it a kind of like, a hugeness that the other movies don't live up to in any way, where they've got sort of, like, stock music. I, I Which is also hilarious because Danny Elfman completely rips off the Hellraiser score for Spider-Man, um, later on in his career because of just this amazing sound cue, and I feel like Hellraiser... I mean, again, uh, I I do want to point out uh, Roger Ebert, who I think one of my favorite ever roasts of a thing I like, which is primarily what Roger Ebert does to the horror genre, um, (laughs) is that he describes Hellraiser 2 as, like, it's uh, it's basically it could be shot in any order without any consequence to the plot, and it basically looks like um, a perverted special effects man's demo reel. He's correct, (laughs) um, but it does have (laughs) a cool soundtrack, so... Um, but I, I feel like, gun to my head, I'm I, I want to go with Suspiria as being slightly above Mask of the Red Death, purely again for the soundtrack and for the visual eye, because this because mm. I, I think Inferno is a better version of what Suspiria is, but I think Suspiria is so instantly iconic because of the color palette and because of um, the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Now.
2: Under Suspiria is MFA, and I don't know if, you know, it's better to... I, I'm really into applauding new movies that are doing valuable things mm-hmm. over kind of the established horror canon.
0: The old guard, yeah. So, like,
2: I kind of want to give the edge to MFA, but also I don't know if it really is a better film.
0: I, and I really, really like MFA, but I got to give the edge to Mask of the Red Death here, at least because, like, while I do appreciate that MFA, A, it's a horror movie about two best friends who are women, and it's about their friendship and completely does the dismissive J.O. motion at all the things you think it's going to do as a horror movie about two women. Um, but I feel like Mask of the Red Death, I want to give the edge to purely because... I mean, Benito, it's like you said, like, this is such a great example of Corman and of what Corman brought to the table that he was able to do incredible fucking cool things with not a lot of budget. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I, think Mask of the Red Death, and also because I'm I'm a mark for any Edgar Allan Poe adaptation, so there's that. Um, but yeah, yep. I think purely for that, I want to give the edge to Mask of the Red Death over MFA.
2: Okay, then wedged between MFA and Suspiria is The Mask of the Red Death from 1964. Uh, so we've got a listener request from Byron Nesbitt, and he requests Pan's Labyrinth.
0: Yes, holy shit! I got to I got to see Pan's Labyrinth uh, at the Belcourt Theater in Nashville the first time I saw it, and hey, that's a good theater. I've oh, been it's, there. it's so good, uh, and I, God damn it, I miss it every day. Um, but Watching this in a room full of people was such a fucking cool experience, like, purely for the scene in Pan's Labyrinth where the guy gets beaten to death with the bottle, like, everybody Mm. in that theater was just sort of biting their knuckles and kind of looking through their fingers and like, Jesus, this is brutal, which is like, yes, that's what fascism is. It's ugly to look at, and it's brutal. Yeah, Yeah.
2: it's really fucking good.
0: Oh, man. And especially for, like, Guillermo del Toro, like, I think the the creature design in this, I mean, first of all, you know, Doug fucking Jones, but specifically, like, the creature design in this is so, it, it, it perfectly, because I feel like fantasy, the the fantasy film genre, if we're looking past, like, Lord of the Rings, what do we got? We got Legend, we got The Dark Crystal, uh, not a whole lot of really, really good fantasy movies, I would put forward.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. For the for the sense of expediency, I'll let that go for an episode. <laughs> no, no, please,
0: please roast me. What I I forgotten something crucial here.
2: You didn't mention Conan or Ator the Fighting Eagle or the scores of other <laughs>
0: and the
2: Beastmaster.
0: Uh, the Beast? That's true. I've, I've left... I've once again, Masters I've left... Masters of the Universe. Once again, I've left Dolph Lundgren. Beastmaster. Oh, listen, Dolph Lundgren... Goes oh, to I'm Lundgren. sorry,
2: you were talking about good movies. Yeah, you're right. There's not many <laughs> yeah. other good ones. However, I will say, Meg
0: Mucklebones from Legend gave me nightmares as a child, so points for that. Lady Hawk with Matthew Broderick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, pa- Pan's Labyrinth, I feel like this was one of the first movies for me that is like... Guillermo del Toro, the way that I think of Guillermo del Toro, because like the Devil's Backbone was great, like a bunch of other stuff that he's done, you know, it was good, but this is one of the first movies that really to me feel like, Alright, now we're fucking talking. This is Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, this is yes. I mean this is really the one that brought him to like worldwide attention
1: as well, I think, right? Like it was mm-hmm. the first one where people really started to know his name.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Agree. Is it the best Del Toro?
0: Oh, certainly not. No, yeah. what's better i i would say shape of water is my i i i mean okay obviously like you know and i know that objective best and worst is kind of a game of grab ass that has no actual i mean because like we can talk about things that are you know that would set a movie apart from another movie in terms of quality like maybe it does things more thoughtfully or has a stronger voice but i feel like for me shape of water sort of perfectly puts together all of the pieces of what make Guillermo del Toro one of my favorite filmmakers
2: mm. um,
0: Yeah, I mean fair, the probably. whole
2: joke of this podcast is we don't know what we're talking about and we're <laughs> randomly putting movies on the list but yeah yeah for sure I, I see what you're saying Oh,
0: we've ranked movies above other movies a non-zero number of times because well it has a tie-in wrap so uh, <laughs> putting that above I don't know Um, But Pan's Labyrinth, I think, also for me, like, there's a tenderness in this that is so fucking crucial for Guillermo Guillermo del Toro's movies that, like, for any of the ugliness to mean anything in in, in movies like this, there has to be warmth and tenderness and kindness and something that's a contrast to all the fucking ugliness. And, like, don't get me wrong, Pan's Labyrinth, there's some really fucking ugly moments in this movie, and... I think to justify a thing like that for me in a movie like this, you have to have things that matter like kindness and decency and, you know, the way we all depend on each other. And, you know, like that, that to me is the stuff that Guillermo del Toro is as interested in as Doug Jones's weird fucking body.
2: Yeah. So oh, what's sure. interesting about that is everything right underneath the shape of water is pretty much cold. Like, predator like zero emotion oh, none. <laughs> it's just toxic masculinity the movie and like yeah. american psycho and the stepford wives are the flicks right underneath that's quite the uh, trio
0: Ship of, of america Ameri- that, that's quite the trio of toxic masculinity movies is predator yeah. american psycho and stepford wives yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> then i don't know if we intended it but evil dead 2 is right under that <laughs> as well <laughs> yep right there um so so would Pan's Labyrinth be better than Shaun of the Dead? Ooh, or Nightmare Three Dream Warriors?
0: Oh, don't ask me to rate Dream Warriors because <laughs> I'm gonna go with Dream Warriors every time. Um, oh man, I honestly, I purely for ha- caring about anything and being about, um, being a, I don't know, like like I feel like Pan's Labyrinth sort of looks at the human experience and sees something worthwhile in it in a way that Predator would yell, shut up, pussy, and then shove it into a toilet. <laughs> and so I feel like purely for that, I want to put Pan's Labyrinth above Predator. Um, I, oh, as much as I hate to say it, I do think a case could be made for Pan's Labyrinth being a better movie than Dream Warriors.
2: Benito, what do you think? <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I don't want to fight, but yeah, I'd put it above Dream Warriors. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but can I
2: change your mind with this? In the tie-in NES game, no matter if you're a male or female character, you do get to change into the miniskirt, switchblade-throwing Terran.
0: Hell yeah. It is a compelling argument. Uh, uh, I say this this as a non-binary person. I I think that the NES game of Nightmare on Elm Street is probably more gender-inclusive and tolerant than Sleepaway Camp. The video game is better. (laughs) It has has better gender politics than, than the movie, so that's... We should rate we should rate that at some point. Um, but yeah, I honestly I feel good about putting that above Shaun of the Dead, Pan's Labyrinth, and Shaun of the Dead is also very into feelings, and I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I feel like if we're going with pure like craft and aesthetic, like Shaun of the Dead is one of my, is a fucking great movie. But I feel like aesthetically. Pan's Labyrinth has a stronger, and god, this makes me feel like, feel like a fucking dipshit for using the term, but I feel like Pan's Labyrinth has a stronger voice than Shaun of the Dead.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's for it's sure. better FX. It's better design.
0: Yeah, better effects, better design, and, I don't know, like, Shaun of the Dead is obviously fucking hilarious and we all adore it, but... I feel like we're going to be talking about Pan's Labyrinth in, like, 15 years in a way that we may not necessarily be talking about Shaun of the Dead. We will be talking about Hot Fuzz on the same level as Pan's Labyrinth. Um, (laughs) Because it's a perfect movie, but...
2: No, I think you're right. I think the shine is coming off the Shaun apple.
0: Well, and also because we're on fucking zombie overload, man. Like, we've had the interceding, like, decade of bad zombie properties to get kind of antipathetic toward it, so... Yeah.
1: Here's a weird thing okay. to think about that's completely tangential. Is Hot Fuzz a reverse Wicker Man? It
0: is the Wicker Man. Because it's, <laughs> yeah, it's like do-gooder cop gets surrounded by creepy country folk. And also, I, yeah. I think, doesn't doesn't um, Hot Fuzz make a bunch of callbacks to the Wicker Man? It
1: probably does,
0: but I'd need to watch
1: Hot Fuzz again.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, and the most the thing that always sticks out to me most from Hot Fuzz is I don't want to be Judge Judy and Executioner. That's the thing that I always think of when I think of Hot Fuzz.
2: The okay. true crime is that the only Edgar Wright DVD that has a reference subtitle track is spaced, but really all of his need, movies need a oh, for sure. caption every time it's referencing another thing.
0: Oh, yeah. Completely agree. And I, and also I appreciate that he Edgar Wright is never cute about that.
2: Yeah, it's just, it's it's a compulsion. It's a, I cannot make a movie without referencing this British sitcom you've never heard of.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah, so, uh, Shaun of the Dead, I, I love it, but it's also, I feel like Shaun of the Dead sort of embraces the being a man-child thing a little bit for me. Well, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. It critiques being a fucking man-child who plays Tekken until three in the morning. But, yeah, yeah, so, Pan's Labyrinth, I feel pretty good about putting that above, uh Shaun of the dead at our new uh, in between right below shape of water so we're gonna you realize we're just gonna slowly start grouping all of the guillermo del toro movies together <laughs> into a
2: club yeah maybe
0: but we'll, yeah. we'll get
2: to that later That's i don't, fine.
0: I don't okay, think i, I don't think right. mimic is going to be in that group, probably <laughs> I, was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna say mimic is going to be much farther down the list yeah poor, number one <laughs> yeah number one mimic poor also poor guillermo del toro having like talking about having to work with the fucking weinsteins while making mimic Mm. Oh, he's he's done his nickel uh, so yeah, so coming in at our new number 25, uh, in between Shape of Water and above Shaun of the Dead is Pan's Labyrinth
2: awesome, thanks uh, Byron for emailing that one in uh, Benito where can our listeners find you online? alright, people looking for me
1: online uh, you can find me on Twitter at Benito underscore Serino. you can find me on Tumblr at Benito dash Reno. Uh, you can find me Uh, updating new articles several times a month at grunge.com, where I write about all sorts of stuff. Most of the time I try to write about things like the secret history of Atlantis, but sometimes I write about toy tie-ins that spoiled a movie. Um, (laughs) Otherwise, the other place you guys might want to look for me is on your podcast apps. Um, Every Sunday that Chris Sims is not out of town, uh, you get a new uh, uh, episode of Apocrypals, the show that he and I do together where we're reading through the Bible uh, Bible Plus, uh, oh, and book yeah. it a, a book at a time, and um, we're going through it, and I'm basically explaining the Bible to Chris, and that's our show.
2: Yeah, it is very good, if you have not listened to it. Uh, it is my... It's what I do to make me not feel uh, bad about not going to church.
0: Yeah, because you're, you're getting the Reader's Digest, or no, you're getting the TV Guide uh, synopsis of, of the Bible, which... I think it's important. Um, So uh, uh, Rank and Vile, obviously, you can find us on uh, Tumblr at just uh, Rank and Vile and on Instagram at just Rank and Vile. God bless Quincy for uh doing the sole work of keeping that instagram going because instagram frightens me and i don't understand it uh and then obviously um, you will find us constantly shit posting on twitter at rank and vile cast on twitter um also we are on stitcher we're on player fm we're on itunes Uh, i'm reliably informed that most people tend to listen to rank and vile on itunes um if you enjoy our uh ridiculous show where we um have very nebulous shitty reasons for rating movies above other movies uh you're uh but maybe you enjoy hearing us talk about tie-in wraps you're gonna want to um go onto itunes and please hey this is your buddy ryan talking leave us a five-star review maybe uh you don't even have to write like a long love letter about why you like the podcast just literally be like they they like Maniac cop 2 best podcast ever five stars and put that and it would do us uh an enormous solid
2: um, oh and speaking of YouTube, I am currently building a YouTube play- playlist of every tie-in rap in a horror movie. So help us uh, please tweet those at us and we will add them to that playlist. Go on YouTube and search Ranked Vile Podcasts and you will be able to find our horror tie-in rap playlist. It is getting surprisingly long. It is.
0: It's great. And also I'm going to um, we're going to put together a thing on uh, Letterbox. We have a Letterbox. Hey, we have a Letterbox. Uh, for a bunch of different gimmick uh, horror movie uh, collections, in addition to uh, our entire collected, shambolic, piece of shit, 247 movie deep. We are almost at we are almost at a cool 250 on the number mm-hmm. of horror, horror properties we have rated for this podcast. Um, so yeah, you're going to want to go look for us over on Letterboxd at just rank and file. Um, shout out to my partner Christina for uh, doing the Lord's work and curating a lot of that, uh, because listen, librarians, it's a finally um but barring that i believe that's all i got so you got anything else uh
2: yeah make sure to go to zubaz we're still sponsored by zubaz <laughs> Fuck yeah, you can, can get 15 off your regular price orders with the code rankvile 15 at zubaz.com and other than that have a great week later folks